Hi, this is Chantelle from Unsighted. Just a heads up, this episode does get into some heavy topics. We do make jokes about the poems, but we will not make jokes about the heavy topic. If you are someone who is impacted by the content warning in the episode, there are resources to help you in the show notes, and we will also be posting them on Twitter. Thank you and stay safe. and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. Today we're doing a poem that we were introduced to in our first year of our university journey, correct? I don't know. I think so. I think I read it in second year. I read it in first year. And so did you, because you were also there. Okay. And it's a poem that deals with a lot of sensitive matters, and we have a content warning for it. Right, Chantel? We do. We have a content warning for domestic violence, and also that involves murder. So um, if you are just not feeling that today, it is kind of like coded and mild, but we're going to get more into it in the discussion. Yeah. It's weird to say it's it's a mild murder, but you know how poems would be. It's like, it's a coded murder, if that makes sense. Yeah, the guy is just like super dissociated. Let's just... speaker. Yeah. It's a pretty short poem. It's like a three minute read, I would say. So um, our listeners who hate poetry, and I know there are some of you, are going to hate this, but I think we are okay to just read the poem. Wait, 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 wait. There are people who hate poetry. (laughs) Mm. I know, crazy, right? Last weekend, I met a high school English teacher who hates poetry, which is fun because the high school English teacher that we've had on this podcast also hated poetry. So maybe he just all high school English teachers hate poetry secretly. I think it's because of how like kids react to poetry. I don't know. I don't know if kids could make me hate something specifically. (laughs) Oh, oh, 100%. I have learned to hate certain things because of kids. Except like Baby Shark. No, Baby Shark is so much fun, though. I don't think kids can make me hate something by them hating it. I think they could make me hate something by them liking it too much. Ah, I see. You're bashing the Gen Z (laughs) with their TikToks. (laughs) Oh, yeah. All the Gen Z that are on TikTok with their Baby Shark Coco Melon songs. (laughs) That's definitely the generation doing that. Back in my day, you were raised on X-Files and Star Trek Voyager. Why are you like 80 years old? Because I'm an only child. Okay. My siblings are my mom. My siblings are the imaginary friends I made along the way. The real siblings of the only children are the podcasts we made along the way. (laughs) Look it up. Every podcaster is an only child. A lot of them are. Statistically speaking, they're disproportionately only children. That's what we call it, pregnant pause. But not pregnant with a second pause. Exactly. Only one pause was birthed through this podcast. (laughs) Okay, I think this intro is long enough. (laughs) All right, that was an only podcast. Are we ready? Yes, today we're going to be reading Perfuria's Lover by Robert Browning. Oh, did we not intro the title? (laughs) It's a surprise. It's been a surprise the whole time. Okay, um, so let's read it. Let's do it. Cool. The rain set early in tonight. The sullen wind was soon awake. It tore the elm tops down for spite and did its worst to vex the lake. I listened with heart fit to break. When glided in Porphyria straight, she shut the cold out and the storm and kneeled and made the cheerless grate blaze up and all the cottage warm. Which done, she rose and from her form withdrew the dripping cloak and shawl, and laid her soiled gloves by untied, her hat and let the damp hair fall, and last she sat down by my side and called me. When no voice replied, she put 
my arm about her waist, and made her smooth white shoulder bare, and all her yellow hair displaced, and stooping made my cheek lie there, and spread o'er all her yellow hair, murmuring how she loved me, she too weak for all her heart's endeavor, to set its struggling passion free, from pride and vainer ties to sever, and give herself to me for ever. But passion sometimes would prevail, nor could tonight's gay feast restrain a sudden thought of one so pale for love of her and all in vain so she was to come through wind and rain be sure i looked up at her eyes happy and proud at last i knew porphyria worshipped me surprise made my heart swell and still it grew while i debated what to do that moment she was mine mine fair perfectly pure and good i found a thing to do and all her hair in one long yellow string i wound three times her little throat around, and strangled her. No pain felt she. I am quite sure she felt no pain. As a shut bud that holds a bee, I warily oped her lids again, laughed the blue eyes without a stain. And I untightened next the tress about her neck. Her cheek once more blushed bright beneath my burning kiss. I propped her head up as before, only this time my shoulder bore her head, which droops upon it still. The smiling rosy little head, so glad it has its utmost will, that all it scorned at once is fled, and I, its love, am gained instead. Porphyria's love, she guessed not how, her darling one wish would be heard, and thus we sit together now, and all night long we have not stirred, and yet God has not said a word. Dunna. I know, very drama. Very, um, Law and Order SVU. So, we both wrote on this, we both... We both wrote upon it. We we had some theses. And we'll get to that. But first, let's give a little bit of background on Robert Browning. Also, side note, I'm pretty sure there's an Avenged Sevenfold song called Little Piece of Heaven that is based on this poem. You know? Are you looking it up? Yeah. It's got lots of swears in it. So if you're a big fan of this podcast because of our limited swears, you might not like the song. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I can see by your face you just looked up the lyrics. Was it... I must have <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah. This is a long ass song. Yeah, it's a very long song. But yeah, Robert Browning, he's a dude. He is. Probably. So he was a Victorian poet and playwright. Famously, we love to talk about the Victorian era on this podcast. We love us some Victorians. Secrets. Uh, he was actually married to another poet named Elizabeth Barrett. Maybe we'll get to her at some point. He was known for writing experimental works that challenge societal norms. So that's interesting. Gives you a little bit of insight into what the heck this is all about. And he deals with challenges like problems with faith and doubt, good and evil, especially the evils of human nature, which you can super see in today's poem. It's one of his many portraits of twisted characters and kind of just exploring their psychology. He's like the original Netflix true crime documentary person. He would have written you. He would have written you. Not you the person. You the show. Yes. Can this I, is a podcast. Can I give you a fun... <laughs> Um, a fun fact about Robert and Elizabeth. Please, I love a fun fact. So they're both writers, right? Mm -hmm. And they had a kid who they named Robert Weededman Barrett Browning, but they called him Pen. What? As in the pen, the writing instrument. And I think that's cute. What a middle name. I like how they were hyphenating. I think Robert Browning was a feminist. I'm going to get into that a lot. Well, she was born Elizabeth Barrett Moulton Barrett Browning. Okay. So hyphenization was, like, pretty common, I guess? I think it had to do with, 
like how family names are passed down like which ones are important so like when you think about like helena bonham carter Mm -hmm. she's not a bonham or a carter like that's the name that was put together yeah so i think it's one of those things of like the name was just always passed down together because her dad was also molten barrett well someone had to hyphenate it at some point but i don't know why because why not because why not that's why any hoodles that's my fun fact but yeah he would have written you that was a fun fact yeah do you have any more fun facts amy well his wikipedia page is kind of fun <laughs> so he uh he supported the emancipation of women opposed slavery you know was pretty Heck cool yeah champion animal rights Heck yeah he did yeah he was an anti he was an opponent of anti-semitism he was an anti-anti-semite <laughs> well his wikipedia Page here says, leading to speculation that Browning himself was Jewish. What does that mean? Like he was secretly Jewish? If yeah, he like, was, like he was o- so pro- openly opposed to anti-Jewish people, but like secretly he was secretly being Jewish. He would just be Jewish if that was the case. Yeah. What a weird speculation. Yes. Um, I didn't click on the source, but apparently it's from 2014. 2014 was a weird time in our lives. Oh, yeah. Um, he was raised evangelical and um, nonconformist. But after reading Shelley, of which I'm guessing Mary... No, say it's Percy. He became an atheist. Evangelical and atheist both sound like very Jewish religions. Apparently, his wife strengthened his Christian faith. His religious is up in the air, but he seemed to be pretty cool. So he was a feminist? Yeah. Atheist. Yeah. Pro emancipation, anti slavery, anti anti Semitist, animal rights advocate. Yeah. I love him. Yeah. He seems to be pretty unproblematic for his time. Robert Browning, unproblematic fave. Apparently so. So that's fun. He seemed to be just be like the kind of guy who just like really liked his wife, I think. Aww. If I, let me look at his marriage. Oh, Elizabeth was older. So that's fun. She was slightly disabled. Here they use the term, uh, semi-invalid which i don't we're not using that term so like she had a chronic illness is what they're trying to say probably yeah i'd have to look at her biography but i haven't her dad uh disapproved of any marriage for any of his children he sounds great oh yeah seems great but then they got married and they lived in italy and they had one kid um who they named pen or panini Man, love a feminist who names their kid Panini. Yeah. They seem to be in cahoots and cute and seem to be good. So, yeah. Oh, well, that's fun. They, like, they, it just seems like a genuinely a strong relationship between two people who are cool, you know? Yeah. <laughs> this is a good segue into my essay because I didn't know that going in. But I wrote an essay about how this is a feminist poem. I actually, it was a comparative essay on this and White Sargasso Sea. So if you want to hear more about White Sargasso Sea, you can listen to our Jane Eyre episode but I won't be talking about it here. But I will be talking about how this poem critiques the Victorian man. So basically, Robert Browning liked to critique humanity and society by challenging the normalization of monstrosity in humans, especially men. So you can see, like, if he believes that humans are doing all these terrible things in the world, like, 
sexism and racism and exploitation of animals and slavery and anti-Semitism, you can see how he would be like, yeah, there's monstrosity in humans, (laughs) you know, kind of like now. So this was his take on kind of the hopelessness of the world, I guess. He did something very productive with it because his poetry is quite interesting. But in the essay, 2015 Chantel posited that Victorian literature reflected the gender roles of its era which I 2022 Chantal still agrees with. So there were dominant, sometimes aggressive, often aggressive men, pious, submissive women, and then the literary canon as a whole at the time sympathized with abusive men, like dominating women as a result. Browning was way ahead of his time because he was like, nope, not having that. He rejects abusive relationships as the norm. And the way this plays out in this poem, it's like really grotesque. Uh, Grotesque is a word we like to use to describe Victorian poetry. Yes, yeah. It's not sympathetic to the violent man at all. It's rebelling against the misogynistic canon that's like, oh, these guys are like fine, you know? Poe did something similar, sort of, where he like wrote from the perspective of grotesque violent people but he himself was not an unproblematic fave he was a very problematic fave no we hate him he was like a racist misogynist just terrible confederate person so he didn't use it for anything interesting with social commentary he just did it and he was like okay wiping my hands of that it's a literary thing that i did and it's done but browning does it much better true that so an interesting thing is that Porphyria in this poem gets a name, but the narrator does not. And names are like their identity, like names are identifiers. So it's kind of denying him like an individual identity, which I think is a commentary. I know it's like first person and he can't really be like talking about himself in the first person, but because it's in first person, I think it's like a commentary on kind of the universality of toxic masculinity. But if that is the commentary, it does kind of like, it can be seen as giving him an out. I don't think it is, but it can be seen that way because we can't name and blame him if there's no name. And if it's a commentary that toxic masculinity is universal, like, is it saying that men aren't individually responsible because they're just like a product of their society? Ah. <sighs> like, obviously, in this case, I would say, of course not. Um, the narrator's taking it like super far and also you can just be in charge of your own actions and the author of your own destiny you have free will boys will not be boys thank you boys will not be boys unsighted 2022 but like the possessive attitude behind the murder was very normalized in like victorian hetero relationships you know yeah and then like if i were to step back i guess from the poem to a perspective that i understand better like to now do you think toxic masculinity is harming men now like of course yeah like i mean like it's not Toxic masculinity is not a women problem only because it fuels itself. And a lot of the things that like men's rights activists use as like reasons that feminism is nonsense are actually just issues with toxic masculinity. Like men aren't seen as nurturing, so they're not given like priority in disputes over child custody or like men are tend more to be depressed because like there's socialized isolation where men feel like they can't confide in each other because does gay. Yeah. Like, maybe not our listeners, because our listeners are flawless, but that is what people in the world think. Yeah. Like, I read a study that said 
straight men were less likely to recycle because they thought it was feminine. But like, men aren't allowed to wear nail polish, but women are allowed to wear pants. Why is that? Because femininity is not respected and masculinity is. And clothes don't have a gender, but like... I get what you're saying. I'm mopping up what you're spilling. Nail polish is seen as feminine yeah. societally, I guess. Yeah. Skirts. Like, you know, the only hot people who wear skirts are Scotsmen from, you know, 1867. Or I guess 1767. Skirts are rad. And you should be able to wear them if you want to wear a skirt. Yeah. Everyone who wants to wear a skirt should be able to wear a skirt. Yeah. Clothes don't have a gender. Hugging your friends doesn't have a gender. Doesn't Going have a gender. Going to therapy doesn't have a gender. Doesn't have Abolish a gender. Abolish toxic masculinity. Abolish gender. Gender is a prison. Judith <laughs> Foucault. Birth is a prison and existence is a curse. <laughs> Um, um, anyways anyways so in this poem i would say society is not an excuse for his behavior obviously and like in victorian literature as a whole and like in life as a general rule you can't blame society for what you're doing no but their behavior is evidence of a larger problem in society yeah and then building upon that do you think we are supposed to be sympathetic to the speaker at all because critics on this are very mixed like my satire brain wants to read it as a satire almost okay like you're not supposed to be sympathetic to him but it's positioning yourself like you are mm, yeah so like it's positioning it as like Oh, this poor guy. He's all alone. Like sarcastically sympathetic. Yeah, but Robert Browning's not a satirist. At least I don't think he's, he is. he's not. But who knows? But I do think the speaker is positioned in a sympathetic light, but maybe not in a way that we're supposed to sympathize with him. More in a way that we're supposed to feel sorry for him. See, in a pity way. That's sort of what some critics say. I'll read you what the critics say. I've also read critic stuff about this, so that's probably where this is coming from it could very well be so some are like no we're not supposed to sympathize with him browning is not colluding with his speakers he's exposing their dirty little secrets like real housewives of indiana fair i don't know i've never seen the show i don't know if that's actually a version of it and then others are like, yes, we are supposed to sympathize him in a pitying way because he's so self-destructive that the poem is meant to like gain your sympathy and then be like, gotcha, now you're implicated in this weird hair thing he just did, you mm -hmm. know? And then another critic I read said that it undermines the usual portrayal of violent male characters as emotionally misunderstood and mysterious, like in Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights, where they're like, oh, I'm dark and I'm brooding, but I'm also like a very terrible, abusive man, but you're supposed to like it. And those guys are positioned as more macho characters than the speaker is. Yeah, they're like the chads. They're the chads of Victorian literature. Yeah, and I we could position that the speaker is very much an incel. This is the incel of Victorian literature. Yeah. But he's also doing the same thing they're doing, and it's showing that, like, they're actually all total monsters. Yeah, you know? 100%. I mean, I'm not saying that what's-his-face Rochester is a good guy, because he's ain't. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and that was a lot in this essay. Yeah, I think, like, this guy's, like, he's so sad and depressed. <laughs> he's, he is. 
is. And like he's so. And he can't do that. No, and he's so happy when she gets there. And it's like your happiness cannot be based on whether or not this woman shows up at your house. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have any like internal gratification. No. Like he doesn't have any internal validation. All his validation needs to be external. So when she's like, sorry, I'm too prideful to give myself to you forever. Yeah. Then he's like, well, guess you need to get murdered. Like he has a a heart fit to break his house is cheerless until she gets there like she makes everything so much better yeah like just i don't know man like read a book or something like light a candle i don't know give yourself a little bubbly bath do something in your house that's not just waiting around for porphyria and like when she does show up maybe don't kill her yeah can we talk about porphyria for a second yes how do we feel about porphyria like the lady or the disease the lady is it also a disease yeah okay so we're taking a segue to medical literature Porphyria. Hi, welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable medical literature podcast. There actually was a I, I was about to say podcast that started like two days after ours and stole our name and was medical literature and then only had like three episodes, so we actually won. But tell me you're an English major without telling me you're not an English major. So porphyria is a group of liver disorders in which substances called porphyrins build up in the body, negatively affecting the skin or nervous system. The reason hmm. it's a thing is a genetic reason. But one of the way that they like diagnose it is like through genetic testing or when you have an acute porphyria attack i guess is the word for it uh-huh your urine turned purple what every part of that sentence was not what i was expecting you to say next yeah so basically also this is important to the poem you're supposed to avoid sunlight when you have porphyria sunlight which is gold sunlight which brings joy to your life huh originally the poem was just called porphyria and then through revisions it was called porphyria's lover so there's that interesting it's also a type of seaweed i was really expecting you to say that one of the symptoms is something with hair because he's like super fixated on her hair it's her like golden hair the color of weird. the sun yeah not the color of your urine which is purple no if you have porphyria yeah very strange porphyria has also been suggested as like an origin for like vampire and werewolf legends because of their aversion to sunlight blah 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 blah, blah. interesting okay well that is a fun fact i was talking about the character. And that concludes our very last episode of Unsighted, a medical literature podcast. <laughs> we lasted almost as long as the original Unsighted Medical Literature podcast. You know what? It's okay. We, we love and appreciate their effort because podcasting is not easy. It's not. It's actually a miracle we're here. Every moment of this is a gift from the heavens. <laughs> to us not you god was um, not quiet about us but i'm <laughs> Um, yeah, we're having fun. Sorry, you have to deal with us. But Porphyria, the person, is she's like a strong, smart, independent woman who don't need no man, you know? She doesn't want to settle down. The lover in the title does imply they're having a sexual relationship. So, like, that's pretty progressive. Oh, yeah, there's, like, also references to buds and rosiness. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, flower imagery. Like a bee opening a rosebud when he opens her cold, dead eyes. Yikes. And apparently her, her rose 
rosy cheeks or whatever it's reference to is a reference to the hymen so that's fun oh okay well medical podcast also, she's basically getting undressed like when she walks in she's like hey man you want to like hang out and he's like eh and she's like what about now and she like slips her sleeve off her shoulder she's like wanna hit want to do anything now it's literally baby it's cold outside it's like reverse baby it's cold outside yeah. she's like baby i can stay and he's like forever oh but like hmm <laughs> It's like, baby, it's cold outside, but what happens if she stayed? But baby, it's cold outside for the rest of our lives. So maybe like, I don't know, look out the window at that storm forever. She admits that she doesn't want to be possessed. Yeah. And she doesn't want to give herself to him forever, Mm -hmm. which is fair in any situation. You don't have to commit to someone, but especially in the Victorian era, when you consider that a woman getting married was considered like she was becoming her husband's property and she totally loses autonomy which still happens today but anyways yeah and honestly this guy does not seem like that trustworthy a man to be doing that for no you know? and i mean like rochester had a big house and like probably some money so like you can kind of avoid him <laughs> if you're gonna marry a chad marry rich i guess is jesus christ what we want to say here but is this it- <laughs> <laughs> yeah this guy does not seem like hot shit he doesn't all he has is a cold house a cold house that's depressing. Self-described depressing cold house with no way to entertain himself until she gets there. Like, even God doesn't want to speak to him. She is the only entertaining thing about him. Yeah. And honestly, like, she's out of his league. I would agree. He's giving strong incel vibes. This is where he gives the strong, strong incel vibes. Tell us because more. he's like, man, this Stacy, she like just wants to hook up with a bunch of other dudes. Oh, hot take. Porphyria's lover hates hookup culture. But like also like an incel couple other incel things he's got going on yeah he's all about assuming her intentions based on his feelings yeah he's sad and depressed therefore she has to be he's like she worshiped me like where are you getting this from dude yeah my guy my man she literally is just here to hook up there was a storm outside she was like "Ooh, i can make a fire here that's it she's like baby it's cold outside yeah and she came for the night and she's gonna leave after she doesn't worship you you sound like you're not that good secondly he feels like he should get to take what he wants by force and that he does. is so wrong yeah like he obviously is not gonna have her forever she's dead you know? Well, a rose family would have other words. Oh, God. <sighs> That's actually the thing I thought. I wrote a comparative essay about this with, but apparently not. And then he's not that, you know? Like, yeah. he that's his that's in his head. He's like, if I kill her, she'll be with me forever. But he's actually just the scary, abusive man thing where, like, it's not uncommon where they think, if I can't have you, no one can. And there's, like, a terrifying statistic about people in abusive relationships being most at risk when they're leaving their spouse. Yeah. And that's really messed up. So like Robert Browning is delving into an actual really terrifying phenomenon here. And it's actually really like scary and messed up to look at the psychology behind this. Because you can see someone thinking like this, you know? Mm -hmm. He's like punishing her for meeting her needs by like, she wants to share love with someone. She wants to like feel like intimacy and he just wants to marry her. And that's 
And it's also really sad that like she has a voice at the beginning. Like she's talking, she's manipulating the scene around her. She's putting his arm around her and he literally takes her voice first, like literally, but also like poetically Mm -hmm. because all her dialogue is super filtered through him. He's like super editorializing everything she says. He's like calling her prideful. Like maybe she says she's prideful. Maybe she says she's too prideful to accept his proposal. But I doubt that. I think he's saying she's too prideful to accept his proposal. And also like literally like you can't talk when you're being strangled. So he actually takes her voice. But I think he's just filtering everything she's saying and turning it into what he wants. And he is prone to do that because later on he says her cheek once more blush bright beneath my burning kiss and like her rosy little head and stuff after she's dead. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that's the case, my man. I just don't think that's how corpses work. He's very good at projecting what he wants onto the narrative and we're not supposed to believe him. So basically at every turn, this poem's just like, hey, you know what? This guy is a total piece of garbage. And he is. He is a total piece of garbage. Uh, So that's my take on why this weird poem is actually subversive feminist commentary of our most notoriously problematic literary era. What do you think, Amy? I'm trying to wrap your my head around, is this actually the most problematic era? I mean, there were a lot of problematic eras, but yeah. we have talked extensively about why this one's especially bad. And they did do a lot of things like they invented prude culture. I think they largely popularized things like homophobia, which is not cool. Like they're bad. But then I remember like Beowulf was written and now I have to read but like, it. But the era in which Beowulf was written was not bad. Well, feudalism wasn't great. Oh, that's true. That's a separate economic issue. Okay, no, you're correct. <laughs> Anyways, um, that's the second time I talk about Beowulf today. One day. Never. <laughs> so I would agree that Perfira's lover is a very incelly, as we would call it today, type of character. Mm-hmm. And it's entirely woven into the structure of uh, women are property. Women are supposed to, you know, worship the ground that men walk on. And like, she's described also with the image of somebody who's like perfect, which I think is is yeah perfectly pure and good and mine he says mine twice yeah perfectly pure and good her hair is golden her eyes are blue her cheeks are rosy like the youths are probably so there's a lot of like imagery of her being like the ideal woman as well you know yeah she's like the aryan ideal Mm. it's pre-nazism but she is the aryan ideal (laughs) very weird for an anti-anti-semite that's pretty anti-semite from an anti-anti-semite yeah. Talking about why this Nazi incel is a bad dude. Yeah. But also that's how like like the Virgin Mary's presented as like, you know, blonde, blue eyed. Where? She's Middle Eastern. <laughs> I know this. <laughs> what? Is she? I don't know. Maybe she's just always wearing blue and I just associate. I think she's just got brown hair. No. She's blonde. She blue eyed. What? Why? Just why? Just why did they have to make Jesus white in every picture? Because God forbid he's Middle Eastern, of course. But God did not forbid is the thing, you know? Like God put him there. Yeah. Is the story. How the story goes. <laughs> Biblically, you can find evidence that Jesus was not a white guy in the Middle East. Because if he was a white guy in the Middle East, 
Judas would not have been like, oh, I'll go kiss the guy on the cheek that is Jesus. He would be like, oh, it's that one white guy with the long brown hair. You know, that one white guy when all the rest of people here have short black hair and are Middle Eastern. It's the one white guy in the crowd. <sighs> so, yeah, I don't really have anything else to add about this because you pretty much talked about How everything you wanted to. to <laughs> she's perfect she's described as the ideal Aryan woman <laughs> yes okay yeah and you know i guess the one line i do want to talk about mm. it's a line and yet god has not said a word speaking of god yeah what's up with that what, what is he saying there is it god's chill with this well he like sure warps reality around what he wants so maybe he wants god to be chill with it so he just thinks uh. that god is chill with it is it it's such a reprehensible act that god is speechless god's like i don't even know what to do with you right now man does he think that it was god's plan hmm or is it that there is no god well also biblically god did kind of orchestrate some murders so maybe god was saying like nazis no good i mean no but like the the crucifixion was also God's plan. So is right. Porphyria like a Christ-like figure? Maybe Ooh. she's perfect. She has blonde eyes. Just like Jesus famously did. She has blonde hair and blue eyes. But you know, she, she wanted to commit a sin, which was stay with him and then leave. And now she is murdered on behalf of all women. So we don't have to bear that type of violence feminist robert browning i don't know oh he was an atheist so maybe saying god has not said a word is like kind of a commentary on like how people can say they're christian and then be like really hypocritical and not doing christian values like mm. you know murdering your lover having and then being a lover like, but i'm still a christian and i'm gonna go repent tomorrow so it's actually fine apparently protestants don't have confessional which is something i learned the other day i think catholic priests just like the hot goss i'm sure my priest when i was growing up because i went to catholic school so we had confessional um i'm sure he really enjoyed the hot goss of i didn't clean my room and then i yelled at my mom i'm sure he did like some of the hot goss that was going on in school just not that one. and yet i have so much guilt it's raised catholic guilt where 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 are we at robert browning was an atheist maybe god has not said a word he might have been jewish it's just such a weird thing like people who think that anyone who is an ally to to us lgbtq people is secretly gay you know like it's such a <laughs> like yeah. you just openly be the thing if you yeah. were the thing you know yeah if you're openly supportive of it you wouldn't be like i'm openly supportive but i'm gonna secretly <laughs> do it in secret but yeah on a scale of no no i want to i feel okay you give me a rating scale okay so on a scale of porphyria to rapunzel how long is your hair wow well because how long does her hair it wound around her neck three times you know how long your hair needs to be for that longer than your butt because i had my hair to my butt when i was in school reading this poem and i checked and it has to be longer all right so my neck is both my hands, index finger and thumb touching. So that's like what? That's like 30 centimeters. Um, that's like a ruler. So it would have to be longer than it's about a foot, a around. meter. Yeah. So it has to be at yeah, least a foot is a at ruler. least four feet of hair minimum. Yeah, like three, four feet. Yeah. Because it has to go from your crown to. Oh, that's true. Yeah. He didn't do be... like. Let me cut this off for you first. And I assume that Rapunzel's long hair is better because instead of getting her murdered, it lets her escape from a tower. Mm -hmm. Rapunzel's hair gets her out of an abusive situation relationship with her mom, yeah. with the witch. 
So I would say it's Rapunzel because, you know, it's a critique of these abusive relationships and Rapunzel is also being free of abusive relationships. I, I would say it's a solid Rapunzel. Yeah, good. What would you say? <laughs> the Virgin Mary, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was also agreeing that it was a Rapunzel. I actually have a picture in my bedroom um, that a friend made for me based on Perfuria's Lover because it was the first work that I ever worked with in school. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, because I read it in high school, which they made us read this in high school. I feel like there's a lot of things we read in high school that are like, I was not ready to emotionally handle as a high schooler. Yeah, I can't believe, like, The Handmaid's Tale was read widely in Ontario. Like, I did not have the critical thinking capabilities to be reading Merchant of Venice in grade 9, you know? Oh, wow, you did Merchant of Venice in grade 9? Grade 9. Oof. But yeah, I was like, well, Shiloh's a bad dude, and that's my take. You know, like yeah. I just, I wasn't there critically thinking, speaking. Yeah, no, that's fair. But yeah, you can find us at Unsighted Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. And that's it. Don't find us anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to give us a rating, if you like this episode, you can give us a five star rating and review on Podchaser, Good Pods, or Apple Podcasts. And also Spotify. And if you're li- uh, listening on Spotify, you can give us a five star rating, not a review. They just don't like them. Words are too much for Spotify, but we really appreciate it when you give us five stars because currently we have five stars and it makes my heart swell. I know. I love our listeners. Our listeners are the best. Shout out to Guatemala. Is that where our listeners are from? Yeah, we have one from Guatemala and Iran. Guam. Guam? No, there's no such place as Guam. Guam. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was us. Thank you so much for listening. This was a ride. We will see you in two weeks. And as always, work cited unavailable. If you were wondering what I was doing before, by the way, I was editing Robert Browning's Wikipedia page. You were? Yeah. What were you saying? We can cut this out, but I need to tell you because I'm very proud of myself. I know of a street named Browning Avenue, so I added it. You are truly a contributor to our global knowledge. I would be a great librarian.